0: Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them.
1: I'm Linda Jane Holden. I'm so happy to be here with Susie Chase today to talk about one of my favorite people, Bunny Mellon. My latest book is Bunny Mellon Style, co-written with Thomas Lloyd and Brian Huffman. My earlier books are The Gardens of Bunny Mellon, which uh, came out in released in 2018 and it's now in its fifth printing. It's been um, something that people really enjoyed, which I'm really grateful for.
0: Before diving into this book, I'd like to thank my new sponsor, Bloomist. Bloomist creates and curates simple, sustainable products that inspire you to design a calm, natural refuge at home. I'm excited to announce they've just introduced a new tabletop and kitchen collection that's truly stunning. Visit bloomist.com and use the code Decorating 20 to get 20% off your first purchase or click the link in the show notes. Now on with the show. Rachel Lowe Lambert Lloyd Mellon was nicknamed Bunny by her childhood nurse. Mrs. Mellon's interest in horticulture started at an early age. Her father gave her a little plot outside of the dining room window when she was seven. Now, you are a garden historian and author behind the books President's Gardens, The Gardens of Bunny Mellon, Garden Secrets of Bunny Mellon, and The Bunny Mellon Garden Journal, in addition to Bunny Mellon Style. Now, while working at the White House during the Reagan administration, you learned of Bunny Mellon and her contributions to landscape design. I am beyond thrilled to chat with someone who knew the incomparable Bunny Mellon. When I was about seven years old, I cut all the
1: pictures out of my grandmother's life magazines and pasted them in a scrapbook. Pictures of the White House. And that was in the 60s when the Kennedys were there. And I came to know later on that all those gardens and those pictures were the gardens of Bunny Mellon. Then in my high school years, I read everything I could get my hands on about the White House. And then after calling college, went to work in the West Wing on the office of the chief of staff, and in that context met Mr. Irvin Williams, the gardener at the time, the head gardener. He was a, just a wonderful gentleman, like a grandfatherly type. But the intriguing part about Mr. Williams is he had come to the White House sixty or 20 years before, in the 1960s, when Mrs. Mellon and Mrs. Kennedy brought him there when they were creating the Rose Garden and starting to restore the White House ground. So I, um, being this young thing out of college with a love of history and love of gardens and wanting to know more, he, I I met him with lots of questions on all those topics and he answered those topics for me. And so we had this great friendship. And then many years later, he finally retired when he was about 83 years old and it was in 2009 and we got together once again and started rehashing his memories of working at the White House. In the gardens, because back in the day when we talked, he always talked about Mrs. Paul Mellon. So then in 2009, when we've reconvened and we're talking one day, I said, oh, Mr. Williams, do you have the Rose Garden archives? It'd be great for us to go pour over those together. And he said, no, I don't. You need to call the White House Historical Association. So I did. And they passed me on to Mrs. Mellon. You know, 2009, I was thrilled that she was still around. And I did didn't even realize it that she didn't live that far from me. So I went online at the time she had her Oak Spring Garden Library, and when he we went online, she had instructions that if you wanted to come to the library, you need to send her a, le- a little letter telling her why. I mailed it on a Monday, and the next day I got a phone call from her librarian. I said, "Oh, are you you're calling so I can come and see the archives?" And he said, "He said, oh, Linda, you can come see the archives anytime you want to, but that's not why I'm calling." And I said, "Well, why are you?" calling. And he said, I'm calling because she wants to see you. I said, why? And he said, I don't know, but when can you come? I went out there and when I arrived, I went to the library and walked in and they said that she wasn't feeling well. She wasn't going to be able to make it down from the house. Could we reschedule? So we rescheduled, but he, he said, in the meantime, she had me pull out everything from the Rose Garden and the East, all the White House archives that we have here for you. To view, so that's what I spent all day doing, and I was just, I was in my element. I'll just say that it was just an amazing experience. There were all her original drawings, and so I, I got to do all of that and um, that day, and then a couple weeks later I came back. I arrived and they escorted me up to the, the oldest part of the library, where the Rothko, that immense, amazing Rothko used to hang. And there's a round table sitting right there in front. They said, have a seat here. So she was 99 years old. She came walking down the hallway and I have to say, she's walking on her own steam with this big smile. And so I went down the stairs and she grabbed my hand and we walked back up the steps And then she guided me over to the table and she took her seat and I took mine. I was there because she asked to see me. I had wanted to pour over the Rose Garden archives. I was not intending to write a book. At the time, I was teaching school full-time. I had a very, really busy life. I'm a mother. I have grandchildren. She uh, turned to me at the beginning of the conversation with this wonderful smile and asked me a question that I was hoping she wouldn't ask me. Uh... Because I thought once I if she asked and I answered that would be a short conversation. I was so excited to be there. Um, but she said, "Now, Linda, you worked in the White House. Which president did you work for?" And the chairs were these little, really small, low chairs. And but I remember just sitting up straight and looking at her in, in the eye with that sweet smile. And I said, "Oh, Mrs. Mellon, I worked in Ronald Reagan's White House." And she threw her arms open and she got that big smile again and she said oh linda ronnie was my second favorite president but jack was my first we, then we were off and running on the conversation she's like well what do you want to know i was like oh my i said well I really want to know what your favorite color is. You know, I'd read a lot about Bunny liking blue, but I wanted her to tell me. I said, can you tell me what your favorite color is? And she said, Melinda, that is not important. And I said, but I'd really like to know. She said, all right, blue, all shades of blue. And you know, I'm really glad that I persisted with her on that because that's really come in handy. Um, over the years writing about her all shades of blue it's been important information that she didn't consider to be important and then this conversation went on for a couple hours and I just sat there just you know like a spell had been cast over me and I think this spell is still cast
0: (laughs) today Yes, uh, over so many of us too yeah. I can see why. So I'm curious about the cover image and the process behind choosing what went on the cover of this glorious book. Isn't it beautiful? It is. Well,
1: that cover is one of her from one of her Paris apartments. The the guys and I we were out at Oak Spring Garden Library in the early days of doing research and we asked to see the watercolors or any imagery that they had. And so um, this is one that we thought was really fabulous. It was bright and happy and cheerful and elegant and restrained, yet it had incorporated all the bits and pieces of her interiors, from the, the artwork to the, the soft furnishings, upholsteries, those chairs. The painted floors were such an important part. Um, that's where she p- really put most of her design was on the floor. You know, she said nothing should be noticed, um, which really means that everything should blend in. She also felt that nothing should look new. She called it having a satin look, not satin fabric, but sat satin, um, that it should look worn. And so those really are her guidelines. It should all blend. And I think you can see in this cover that it it really does and nothing is really pops off or stands out as new. And her best friend, I would say call her best friend, um, Jackie Kennedy, she added to that saying that everything should have a reason for being there. And so that really encapsulates this picture being such a gorgeous watercolor by Isabel
0: Ray, who was very gracious to share this with us. You wrote in the book, the Melons conducted this private, privileged life at their 4,000 acre farm in Virginia and at various other houses and apartments in Paris, New York City, Cape Cod, Nantucket, Washington, D.C., and Antigua, their island paradise in the West Indies. They preferred to go quietly about their lives in the worlds of philanthropy and art, and separately, he in horse breeding and racing, and she in books, gardens, and design. Derry Moore, Bunny's son-in-law, wrote to you about the individuality of all of her homes. They were all different, and Bunny Mellon's. Style takes us into the designs of Mrs. Mellon's many homes. Can you talk a little bit about that? A couple years ago when I was in Norfolk,
1: Virginia at a uh, speaking to the Garden Club there, when I was finished with my presentation and they repeatedly asked me what was next and I said, well, oh, I'm just trying to keep up with this book right now. They kept asking one after the other during the Q&A and finally I said, what do you want? And they said, you told us about the outside, now tell us about the inside. So that's what that we Thomas and Brian and I ent- endeavored together to do was to tell about the interiors. I kind of followed the same lines of thinking of Gardens of Bunny Mellon and tracked the houses and um, what went on in the inside. What I continue to learn um, about Mrs. Mellon is that the elements of her design, whether it was she's also you have to look at her and, uh, and consider her as an architect. She did it all. She bought the land. In, in many cases, she designed the building she furnished the house all of it and we can see that in each and every one of her houses that the house had everything to do with the gardens and this is because she 100 saw her gardens as art as living art and used them as such especially at oak spring if you look at the, the gothic room which has a view right onto the garden. The proportions of the windows are designed and perfectly set to view the bloom from inside the house. They're strategic to the exact level of the bloom because the blooms were the living art. That was her collection. Yes, she collected, they, the melons collected many things, ceramics, fabulous art. But for Bunny, really, her flowers were her collection. She designed her houses to, to see her, her flowers there are even some windows that have these small pieces in them. They're like prisms, and they break down the light. It, she helped to focus the light on things she wanted to highlight. And so light was extremely important to her. I would say at Oak Spring, to use that as an example, it's hard to know really where the front of the house is. The front door is very nondescript, but what would one would consider to be the front of the house faces south, and the back yard, the garden, her garden, which is about a half acre, faces to the north. All gardeners know that it's wonderful if you have a southern exposure because that brings in the beautiful light. In this case, would pass through those gorgeous windows and bring the brilliance of the sunshine into the room. But then when you went into the back garden, the stone wall at the back of the garden that was whitewashed, just like her father had done, by the whitewashing the wall, it created a scene that was ever-changing through the day as the sunlight hit the chinks of the stone. And in her mind, there was... I would agree with it, there was always something new to see. She was always trying to create something new to see a, a reason it had to be there. Like Jackie said, everything had to have a reason. The other way that she brought the garden inside was, when you look through the book, you'll see some of the floral, in that gothic room, you'll see floral fabrics there and itself was bringing the garden in. And in the living room, you'll see this lovely yellow sofa and it uh, has a butterfly pattern. Also, in the garden, there are, on the middle terrace, there are two butterfly imprints that are filled with flowers. And there's a walkway across the way that is planted with Bonaviansus and other uh, flowers that the butterflies love. And when Mrs. Mellon was alive, to walk down that Pathway on the edge of the
0: square garden. You would walk through like a tunnel of butterflies. It was just breathtaking,
1: and she felt that if you planted a garden for the butterflies and if they came, that you had indeed created a piece of heaven here on earth. And so that's why you see the echoing of the butterflies in the house. Because once again, she
0: was bringing the garden into the house. It was all interchangeable. In your preface, you allude to hurdles and obstacles that you encountered in the research process of this book. Talk a little bit about gathering the writings, correspondence and interviews with people who knew her and whom I would imagine most have passed away at this point. Some of the gardeners I've gotten to know really
1: well when I was researching the gardens of Bunny Mellon. And some of those gardeners had actually grown up there at Oaks Brent um the gardener that tended to the Antigua house and her Cape Cod house um she had gardened with her for 25 years and she'd been in and out of the house you know she spent a lot of time with me too uh John Basket, who was the curator for Mr. Mellon curated the Mellon's art collection uh he is in his 90s it is he's in London and he was just so helpful and um these transatlantic phone conversations. Also, Philippe Venet, who was Hubert uh, de Givenchy's partner. Mr. Givenchy and Mr. Venet had helped me tremendously with the Gardens of Bunny Melon. Uh, Mr. Givenchy passed away, but Philippe carried on and uh, went to see him in Paris again, and he was a great help with Bunny Mellon's style, and then he passed away uh, recently, but he had known her very well and traveled with her, been to all of her homes with Uber de Givenchy. So he was an excellent
0: printer source for the writing. That leads me to the story that I would love for you to tell about the lunch you had with Givenchy and Philippe Vinay in Paris in the fall of 2015.
1: And we went to Grinnell, which was their home there on the left bank. And uh, there they stood at the entrance, the doorway, to welcome, to give a kiss, you know, on each cheek, and escorted me into the salon past the Picassos. And it was to talk about gardening with Bunny Mellon. Is why it was the gist of our conversation but we spent the afternoon talking about their gardening experiences with Mrs. Mellon and uh we had this fabulous lunch that was served there. And we sat at the table right by the windows that looked onto their garden. And bear's garden was all green and white, just white roses. He shared with me his garden scrapbooks. There were about four or five of them. And we sat there together side by side looking through these scrapbooks. And he was telling me about his gardens show me the pictures and what had inspired him about the gardens and I really struggled to know what to bring to him as a gift and what I ended up doing was I brought him like an herbarium uh, a, a very large book blue linen cloth bound book that I'd gone to Mrs. Mellon's garden and cut the flowers in September, took them home and pressed them. And then when they were dry, I pasted them in this book, wrapped the book with this large, really wide, beautiful satin blue ribbon. I wrote a French inscription in the front, reminding him of when he had first taken Bunny to the Potager de roi They had gone to the market there in Versailles. They have this fabulous vegetable market on Fridays. And they'd gone to the market, and then afterwards he had told her he wanted to take her to this garden, but he had said, come with me. And she wrote about it later, and those are the words she remembered. Come with me, and so I used that. And he sat there, and as he read through it, he got very emotional, very emotional, shed a few tears. And so it (laughs) became a really emotional
0: experience, which I hadn't really anticipated. I didn't realize Mrs. Mellon's relationship with Givenchy was so close. They traveled together. He had a bedroom in her Antigua house, and she had a bedroom in his turret of his 17th century French country house, and he. He even took her to Studio 54, which I thought was a hoot. <laughs> One thing I noticed about her was she made these deep relationships with unlikely characters throughout her whole life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a wonderful observation. Thank you for noticing that. She did.
1: She could be a friend for life. Mr. Williams, you know, all those years later, they still spoke on Sunday afternoons, on the, you know, on the phone, Sunday afternoons, and still admired her. That's why she saw me that first time was because of Mr. Williams, my friendship with Mr. Williams who she adored and my first book, The Gardens of Bunny Mellon is dedicated to Mr. Williams and I used a quote Bunny said that day uh, about him uh, because she was a true true friend. When she became your friend, she was your friend for life.
0: I just adore that this is both a biography and study of Bunny Mellon's iconic style. Talk a little bit about collaborating with Thomas Lloyd, Bunny's grandson, and Brian Huffman. Brian has a wonderful sense of humor. and He pretty much kept us in stitches of laughter a lot of the time. But he was a lot of
1: fun. And Thomas, uh, he he uncovered a lot of family photographs um, that were helpful. Um, he came and did some research with us. Let's see. He invited uh, me to his house at the Cape, which was fun. Uh, He inherited his father's house, Bunny's son's house. It's not Bunny, it wasn't Bunny's house, but from this house, you could see her
0: house. So that was a lot of fun to just be to be there in that environment. So there's so many magnificent highlights of Bunny's life. What is your personal favorite?
1: Well, I love her friendship with Jackie very much. I loved, they're about 19 years apart. I just love the way they got along and and really inspired each other and enjoyed each other's company. And Mrs. Mellon herself told me a story about how when she was at the White House, because before she did the garden, she was involved in the interior space and helping Jackie prepare for an evening dinner. And they had introduced these round tables into the White House and then covered them with cloth. So Bunny told me that she climbed down under the table to get the cloth straightened. And while she was under the table, Jackie was standing next to it. And she heard footsteps come up and heard this voice say, Mrs. Kennedy, do you know where Mrs. Mellon is? And Jackie said, giggled, she was really lighthearted and giggled and said, Mrs. Mellon is under this table right now. (laughs) You You have to wait your turn to talk to her. And She called Bunny the patron saint of everyone at the White House because she handled so much of it and helped and she said too when she had accepted to do the Rose Garden Jackie said she was going to have to thank, thank her in Japanese because she'd run out of ways to say thank you because Bunny had done so much so I, I just really enjoyed learning the interplay of those two in the happy moments and then in the sad also uh, you know as they went through the funeral and the building of the gravesite and all that together how they really stood by each other and helped to create and get things done.
0: So I think the Rose Garden was a great example of how Mrs. Mellon was no stranger to taking risks because she said to President Kennedy, I'm a gardener and I don't know if I can do something like this. And he said, Yes, you can. Uh, when she
1: first went there with Perry Wheeler, who was her sidekick in the garden at first, that uh,
0: helped her with the
1: hardscaping, the engineering part of it. So they're sitting under the Andrew Jackson Magnolias, just looking and thinking and chatting, and President Kennedy came bounding out of the Oval Office down the old steps and across the lawn clamoring and saying, do you have any ideas? Do you have any ideas? You know, Which implied his confidence in her to go forward with it.
0: We're bouncing around, but I want to go to 1948, um, go when Rachel Lowe Lambert married her second husband, Paul Mellon, in the New York City apartment of Foxcroft Chum, and one of my all-time favorite decorators, Sister Parrish. To me, this wedding seems so low-key and not uh, very lavish. I love to hear about that wedding.
1: There's not a lot written. You know, they were very private, and she didn't write a whole lot about these things. And it was so long ago that, uh, but, you know, people did that back then. The Reagans were also married in uh, a living room, William Holden's living room. And it was a second marriage for both. So they didn't want to cause commotion or a
0: lot of attention um, in doing so. After Bunny married Paul Mellon, they built Oak Spring Farm in Upperville, Virginia. I think this is my favorite of all of her residences, 4,500-acre estate, um, which includes three primary residences and more than 20 cottages. Could you please describe Oak Spring Farm?
1: Uh, Mr. Mellonby's thoroughbreds, he had a broodmare barn. I think he had about seven barns there, and a round barn. He had uh, hunters, and he, he liked trail riding, fox hunting, you I know, mean, was a, one of his favorite sports so you had the horses you had all these grand oak trees hence the name but there's this rise of land there had been an old log cabin and they wheeled it across the road and it is on that site where they built the current their their home Oak Spring, just at the foot of the hill, the little knoll there, is a spring house that is just charming. And there's a you know a spring and a stream and a willow tree and all there. But I felt that that architecture is what inspired. Knowing that Bunny always looked for inspiration because the house really replicates the spring house. The same kind of stone, the whitewashing, the countryfied effect is in the house. And so um, the house kind of rambles around you enter from, from the side actually into a very large square sized vestibule and the floor is herringbone uh, laid brick and it goes back to her concept where she integrated the garden with the house so here you're actually you walk into the house but you feel like you're standing on the garden path because it's all brick and had v- views to the garden the doors that open to the garden so on the first floor you had um like a little living room on the right then you travel down a little bit more and there's a bigger room where she where she spent most of her time where that yellow butterfly sofa was and then beyond that would be the dining room there was a commercial size kitchen off to the left she had what a little kitchen there's a picture in the book that she called her sunday kitchen and someone described it as saying it looked like one day bunny said need a kitchen here. And so she built this little kitchen and attached it to the house. There was a little room for flower arranging right next to the kitchen also. And then going back to the front door, if you traveled back to the west, um, that that part, that's when you went into her library. And then beyond that was Mr. Mellon's office. And then upstairs there were two master suites. They each had their own suite and um, adjacent guest house. There was a secret passageway also between Bunny's suite that had views of the garden, but that went into her daughter Eliza's room, but it was like a hidden passageway. You didn't know if it was there unless you, you knew it was there. That's basically it. It was very, very nondescript, very, um, intimate, low ceilings. Yet, you know, the fires would be blazing in the winter and always an abundance of fresh flowers, candles lighted and, uh, just beautiful, lovely aromas. The shutters were open early with the sun by, um, different butlers, and close at the end of the day. It was very much ran uh, a very a, a rhythm, a daily rhythm, through where the house was
0: managed and run. Very quiet. Nobody went there unless they were invited. One of Oak Springs' most recognizable feature, I think, is the arbor of crab apple trees leading down um, that long path. <laughs> mm-hmm. And was it Bronson Van Wyck who reproduced this for that special dinner before the opening of the Sotheby's auction in 2014?
1: I didn't go to the auction personally. That's actually what spurred me on to start writing about her was that auction. And um, yeah, so he did. But what it is, it's about 127 feet long and it connects the garden with the greenhouse. And they are... Uh, Mary Potter crab apples that have a pinky peach blossom in the springtime. And the fruit, what's wonderful about it is see, Bunny did everything with intent. Uh, the fruit that is, uh, the berries don't ripen until late in the year. They're probably still right on that arbor now, which is great for the birds. She's always providing food for the critters, the birds, places for the critters to hide. So that arbor served a dual purpose, um, which was to feed the birds.
0: And I read somewhere on also that she she didn't want the apples picked up for right. that kind of lived in look. Well, yes, she she you know, that was the artist in her creating vignettes, still
1: lifes and scenery. And so they didn't mow until she told her it was time to mow. And they had a short time in the morning to to mow. The melons didn't want the mowers running all day. She wanted everything to look as though God had just touched it, just left it It in its most exquisite moment. And so she had a lot of gardeners, and that was part of their job was to pull the apples aside, do the mowing, and then place the apples back,
0: um, kind of where they had been. You mentioned a little bit earlier about how her motto was imperfect. Perfect. She had many, many collections in her home straw baskets, vegetable ceramics, wooden walking sticks, rare books, contemporary art, engraved silver pillboxes, and even jewelry by Slamberger. I'm probably um, not saying that correctly. Slamberger. You're doing great. You're doing just fine. <laughs> just a little bit about her various collections she loved beauty and an objects that brought great you
1: know, regard to her, my favorite of her, her jewelry, she had this butterfly bracelet because I knew she, I know she, how much she loved butterflies. So that's my personal favorite, but she worked with Shlombrochet who had, you know, been in, in New York city and in France and they designed jewelry together. And so she would commission him. They, they collaborated. And so he devised all these magnificent pieces that, uh, she wore, especially, you know, she mostly had two kinds. Two types of clothes: She'd clothes for her gardening clothes, and then her dress-up clothes for the events at the National Gallery of Art. So she would wear the jewelry pieces to those events, and so that's where the, the Schlumberger jewelry. And he's the one who told her that she didn't dress well in the early days. Oh he, yes, yeah. He said, <laughs> told her she yeah, and she wrote she wrote about this herself. And um, so, but he insisted that they go to Paris together, and he introduced her to Cristobal. Valenciaga, who took her in hand and then dressed her. And and, until he, he took an early retirement and that's when he introduced her to Ube de Givenchy. She was very cooperative. Givenchy told me how she, she was so cooperative uh, and accepted, liked, liked how he dressed her. She wore navy blue all the time. He created her bucket hats for her. She also wore a lot of t-shirts, like the Land's End t-shirts. And he was making those for a while. and, we have a picture on page 288 of her t-shirts and how she was trying to to draw what she want how she wanted him to make the t-shirt and finally he told her he said bunny you can just buy these at land's end (laughs) it would be a lot cheaper if you just bought them and then we don't have to be shipping them across the ocean that's hilarious (laughs) yeah so um the other collection she had in the afterward the afterward is very very special it's written by susan leopold who was one of her librarians and who has a phd in botany and susan wrote the afterward based upon her experiences working with mrs mellon a copy there of sophie granville's plant medicinal on page 292 bunny collected sophie's paintings. Um, Sophie lives in Provence and Susan has been there and got to know Sophie herself but Bunny first read about Sophie in a magazine when she was traveling over in Europe and she called Hubert to ask him about Sophie because Sophie had worked with Hubert so he introduced them and Bunny went to her farm very remote, very rustic and rural farm and wanted to buy the collection so Sophie said well that's fine and then of course she wanted to commission some pieces and Sophie said well can you give me like a deposit and Bunny said well I don't have any money she said well nothing you know and uh, so Bunny turned to her driver who happened to have $50 in his pocket so he gave her the $50 and Bunny handed it to Sophie and that was the beginning of their great relationship of this great artwork Susan
0: writes about that one thing I loved was her straw baskets I just loved it and and, and she displayed them so beautifully on the Ceiling. That's her basket house. And that whole idea was
1: one of her later additions. But when she was a little girl, she spent summertime with her grandparents up in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. And on the weekends, she and her grandfather would go into New Hampshire, to West Ringe, New Hampshire, where his farm was. He'd been born there and he had a farm. And they would, the little village you had to travel through West Ringe to get to the farm, there was a basket factory. And these baskets were made in West Range, New Hampshire at the time. So this factory was there and every so and every weekend they would go into the factory. And to get in the factory though, there was a stream of water right in front of the factory and then two boards that you had to step over, that took you across the stream and into the factory. And that's where all these baskets were. Years later, she built this basket house. The basket house that you'll see in the pictures is based upon this basket factory. She built a little pool in front of it at Oak Spring, and it has a sliver of a bridge across it, just like the boards she had to cross in New Hampshire. And then the water level, so the surface, just below the surface level, are these jets that just uh, move the, the water ever so gently to recreate the atmosphere of that stream that was gently rolling down through the village. Inside, she hung the baskets, and just like she had seen, done in the factory. So that was the gist of it. The roof of the ba- her basket house is from a house she saw on the main river in the Loire. In France, she was really surrounded by, down to the basket, these memories and images of the people that she had loved so much in her life, her grandparents and and her parents. Her father
0: figured largely into her designs, too. I just adore the Trinity Episcopal Church in Upperville, Virginia, in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains that was designed and built by Bunny and funded by the Mellons. You wrote in the book that she intentionally placed the beam off center as a symbol that God alone is perfect.
1: When you walk in the church, you go through these doors that really resemble the gates to her garden very much so, and there's this vestibule, and if you, once, I mean, the hardware is this beautiful hand-wrought iron, horses' heads and latches and things. It's just exquisite, but if you gaze up to the ceiling, look, you'll see that, you know, the beam is placed off-center. She wanted the worshipers, as they entered into the church, to have this feeling of contraintness and an attitude of worship and to remember their place and that God was the only one who was perfect and that's why we go into church to worship him that and just to keep to remind us of
0: our place <laughs> the detail and the thought that she put into her, her her buildings, her architecture. Well, as Tori Birch, who bought Kingsley, Mrs. Mellon's property on Antigua, wrote, restraint brings attention to the integrity of design. And I think that sums it up right there. Tori was right on when she wrote that. You know, Tori kept a lot of Kingsley
1: the way Bunny had it. A lot of the furniture came with the house. And, and I love that about Tori, where she... She valued it and, and she just updated the kitchens and the bathrooms, I think, for the most part. But she's such a strong appreciation for that very
0: thing. Awesome. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Oh, thank you. I have a website, LindaJaneHolden at com, And I... And on instagram it's at linda jane holden to purchase bunny melon style and support the podcast head on over to decorating by and thank you so much linda for coming on decorating by the book podcast thanks so much for having me it was a lot of fun i appreciate it follow decorating by the book on instagram and thanks for listening to the one and only interior design book podcast decorating by the book